In a world full of complex challenges, we need more open-hearted opportunities to express ourselves. In a world full of heated debate, we need more open-minded opportunities to listen to each other. In a world full of fear and anxiety, we need more chances to chill and turn toward one another. Join us as we host conversations with educators, artists, activists, community members, and youth to surface the intergenerational wisdom we need to understand, adapt to, and solve the urgent issues facing humanity. Welcome. I am so excited to be launching our first series of the Chill Podcast and introducing ourselves to you. Chill is an acronym for the four of us, Callie, Heather, that's me, Lois, and Louise, and we are all here behind four microphones in Callie's basement in Salt Lake City. So everyone, can you please say hello so that they know I'm not alone and I'm not making this up? Hey. Hello. Hi. Thank you. And we aren't just chill because it's a cute acronym for our names, but it's truly a chill group where fabulous, hard, and curious conversations happen. And I can't wait to jump in and share with you what we're really all about. We like to say that we are four white women, and collectively we share over 125 years of professional experience and history in the field of arts and education. At our core, we are educators, we're researchers, we're administrators, and we're dedicated to integrated and culturally responsive approaches to um, teaching and learning. We live in three parts of the country, Oakland, California, Cambridge, Massachusetts, and Salt Lake City, Utah. And over the last two years, we have had honest, vulnerable, and courageous dialogue with each other every two weeks. I'm really grateful to Kelly. She's the one who invited me into this group and this experience. Kelly is my boss, but I think it's more accurate to call her my best friend and my therapist and my second mom <laughs> and my baby's grandma. <laughs> so Kelly Flox is the founding director of the BYU Arts Partnership. This is where we both work in the McKay School of Education at Brigham Young University. Kelly, can you start by telling our listeners how this chill project got off the ground? Yes, thanks, Heather. I met Lois Hetland in 2017 when we brought her in to be our keynote speaker for the Learning Edge Conference for Administrators. Lois's research about the arts as a way of thinking was critical for my understanding about how the arts work in the classroom and for making a case with educators and administrators about the essential role of the arts in a complete and well-rounded education. And congratulations, Lois. Thank the you. The third edition of your book has just hit the stands, the bookstores. Studio Thinking 3, The Real Benefits of Visual Arts Education is now out. And in this book, her co she and her co-authors identify eight studio habits of mind and four studio structures found in visual arts classrooms. And those go across all arts classrooms. Once I met Lois, she began introducing me to people across the country. And my favorite person she introduced me to is right here with us, Louise Music from Oakland, California. Louise invited uh, my husband Scott and I out to her Inventing Our Future. It's a conference, it's an annual institute that Louise's team organized every summer. And then after we attended the conference, Louise arranged for Scott and I to go out that fall and visit uh, schools in her area. So we went to an elementary, a middle school, and a high school. And we saw how what she'd been teaching in this institute transferred and showed up in these classrooms and it was remarkable the classrooms and schools came to life we saw incredible artwork on the, on the walls and all kinds of um, diverse demonstrations of student learning and ran into teachers who really knew what they were doing with conscious craft and it was really inspiring and what we learned there is still informing programs in the BYU Arts Partnership today 
And Callie, we learned so much from having you and Scott come and look. And I think it, this was really what tied us together because Lois's work gave us all a language to be on the same page and to be sharing how practice was being improved in classrooms in all these variety of locations. And when we create shared language, we can more effectively change the world. And that's part of why conversation is so powerful. Absolutely. Well, and right. Louise's networks, I mean, honestly, they actually changed practice. And there aren't very many administrators who can say that at a systemic level. It was pretty remarkable. Yeah, to walk in and see it in action. Well, yeah. more on that another time. <laughs> <laughs> nice work, Louise. Nice work. So then the pandemic hit, and we were all isolated at home and working via Zoom. And Louise called and said, you know, Kelly, I want to meet Margaret Wheatley. Can we? And Margaret Wheatley lives here in Utah, great author, one of mine and Louise's favorites. And I said, you know what, Louise, Margaret Wheatley's work is inside of you. And I think we should just get it, call Lois and let's start some conversations and see what we can learn from each other based on our shared beliefs of Margaret Wheatley's work. So we started meeting every other week and having conversations. On Zoom. On Zoom, yeah. And it was during the time, Heather, when you and I were working in my backyard <laughs> so we could comply with uh, our oh, yeah. COVID regulations. Pandemic office. <laughs> yeah, and wasn't it great? It was beautiful. It was beautiful. And I love the birds in the backyard. So, and I knew our conversations, um, you were missing and I invited you to join us, and immediately Lois and Louise fell in love with you and said, oh my goodness, she brings so much to this conversation. It's fresh, and she has this technology vision, and we felt um, this synergy, and Chill was born. And then once the summer of 2020 exploded, and people were marching in the streets to protest the murder of George Floyd, and then there was this long overdue racial reckoning that began to spread across the country, we realized that while we had all been working for decades on issues of equity to transform public education, we had so much more to learn and do. And especially for Louise and me, who were in the midst of exiting our institutional roles in administration and teaching, this question emerged. What is the best use of our privilege, experience, and time to meet this moment of existential reckoning and to support the transition to sustainable, life-affirming systems nationally and globally just a little idea okay? <laughs> we don't we like to take on little things at a time yeah but i think you know after all those conversations we came to see that while it was a really big idea it was the only thing that seemed really authentic to us it was the only real question we could come to and it was a question that we didn't have the answers to but it seemed honest and there was so much happening in the world that I felt disconnected. I felt alone. I felt out of touch. And the question made me feel connected to other like-minded people. And it was refreshing. And I wanted to do that hard work because it gave me hope. Well, anyway, we all shared the belief that addressing the problems in education, which we were all too familiar with throughout our careers, it was necessary to help people consider and adapt to and solve the stuff that was facing us now and in the future. Heather, you were really such a catalyst. You pushed us to move beyond the conversation among the four of us and to think about what are we actually going to do. You helped us get excited about podcasting as a form of artistic social practice. I saw how podcasts could support expansive, imaginative, open-ended spaces for multiple voices and perspectives. 
You know, you really helped me see that younger people and older people bring complementary strengths that make our efforts to create a better world stronger. We need to be in close relationship with each other. I couldn't agree with you more, Lois. Heather was the one that suggested we need a community of support, almost kind of like a think tank, in order to be able to move forward responsibly. And what did she call it? A mastermind. A mastermind, yeah, that really. Anyway, a community. We decided to share our ideas with a set of generational cohort groups to see if what was important to us held value with others. So we made a list of our friends and colleagues, and over the last year we've had tw- uh, new conversations with 24 people, members of the Gen Z, Millennial, Gen X, Baby Boomer, and Greatest Generations in cohort groups. And the conversations have been just fascinating. It's been so fun. Now, well, I remember how we would turn off the recording and just look at each other in silence. It was like, wow. Well, I think that it was just so heartening at the time to realize what we had stumbled upon almost through our conversations, the really powerful place that we'd come to. And we were... Um, just so deeply appreciative by the generosity of each and every person who shared their time and ideas with us. Each person really seemed to enjoy the conversation and they all expressed their deep appreciation for the opportunity to participate. Yeah, people want to talk to each other. They enjoyed it as much as we did. Yes, meeting with the folks in these focus groups really turned out to be a terrific strategy. We needed to slow down and take the time to check out our intentions and our reasoning. You know, you guys, one thing that made a really big impression on me was that whether it was high school students, millennials, or octogenarians, each group recognized and named as one of the most urgent issues in the world the inability to really listen to one another and to tolerate differing perspectives. Yeah, that problem of not being able to listen for understanding did come up in every focus group. I think it's time to share some evidence of that. And let's start with um, Grace Blumel, a high school student in Utah who was a part of our Gen Z focus group. Like, I think acceptance can be a hard, like that's an issue that is common where I live. Like we're so quick to like discredit other people and tell them that the experiences they're having is not really what they're having, you know? And I think really listening and understanding people as best as we can and not like telling people that, you know, that they're experiencing something when they, like they're not experiencing something that they really are. I think that's an issue where I live. That's just throughout the world. Like we don't really like listen and try to empathize with people as much as we should. Yeah. To empathize with one another, you have to listen. This was a topic of conversation in every single focus group when we asked about the challenges and opportunities in today's world. Here's from the Boomers group, my friend Jim Reese. He's an educator in Washington, D.C., who runs a network for public school educators. It seems like polarization and, and um, you know echo chambers and that kind of thing is a common thread here. And I think um, that finding ways to commit ourselves to to try to understand what other people think and why they think that and to, and to have reasonable conversations around topics that we can engage in. Those kinds of things have just got to happen for us to ever get to 
some kind of shared um, societal communitarian kind of um, purpose that that can make our lives, I think, worthwhile. And I think that's we've really lost that. All of the focus group members agreed that tapping intergenerational wisdom and creativity was essential for finding pathways to a more socially just and healthy world. Here's my friend, Rafael Jesus Gonzalez, a poet and activist from our Greatest Generations focus group. And we have to listen to our young and, uh, and have our young listen to, um, to our old. You know, we have another myth, you know, that age brings with, that age brings wisdom. Well, that's a myth, it does not. Uh, we've been governed by old fools for so long, uh, you know, and uh, so that it's not age that brings wisdom. And Jerry Kelly, a retired financial executive who is in our Boomer group, sums up the impact our failure to communicate has on so many issues. That's the fundamental issue that we have in the world is a failure to communicate. It can be within the classroom, within the Congress, within the church, within the neighborhood. Um, and that then feeds the uh, dissent that we have on other important topics that are out there, the wealth gap. You know, that has to change and that feeds right into education and the funding of education. We have so much more to share from these amazing people's voices, insights, and wisdom. In our next episode, we will dive deeper into the concerns and hopes discussed in these focus groups. Thank you, everyone, for joining us here for the Chill Podcast inauguration. The Chill Podcast is produced by the BYU Arts Partnership. Special thanks to James Houston for editing, Tavin Barrowman for the artwork, and Scott Fox for the music. If you like what you've heard, please leave a review. This helps tremendously as we work to bring more people to our chill conversations. You can find the show notes and more about chill at thechillpodcast.com or on social media. Our handle is at thechillpodcast. And that's chill, C-H-L-L, for Callie, Heather, Lois, and Louise. We can't wait to chill with you next time. <laughs>